the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Links and Locks podcast. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is Justin Ray from the 21st Group. We're going to get into this week's, with a new name, Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. New name, same old tournament, same old course, and uh, maybe a little bit different field. They've gotten a little upgrade in the entry list this year. And we'll, we'll also go over our five questions, talk a little bit about this past weekend's Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Maybe we'll talk Halloween, too. Who knows? So. Uh, Jay Ray, what's going on? How was your Halloween weekend? Halloween weekend was good. Uh, my beloved and everyone else hates Astros got back into the World Series. Hopefully <laughs> by the time you're listening to this, they haven't been eliminated. Um, meaning you listen to us quickly because the next game is Tuesday. So, um, But no, good weekend. Uh, I was in San Francisco for a couple of days. Little brother got married, so that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, good, good, uh, good things all around, man. Congratulations. That's very, very cool. And uh yeah, uh, all good things here, too. Everything going really well. I, I would like to read off a tweet and not to pull off a Jimmy Kimmel stunt that he often does. But uh, you and I got a tweet about the podcast last week, and it was just it was so nice that I wanted to uh, point it out. This is from at Alpha TX 35. Uh, holy shit. You guys are basically blabbing about random shit for the first 30 minutes. Next time, cut out all that random BS out. Whoever decides to watch, skip to the 37-minute mark. You'll thank me later. Okay, so. Thank you, Alpha. What was his name? Alpha Centauri? Alpha TX35. Thank you, sir. For the- yeah, I appreciate that, Alpha. Constructive um, feedback. All right, Jay we Ray. Did, we did blather on a lot last week. We were right. a bit verbose. I'm picking Shane Lowry this week. Who you got? Uh, Victor Hoffman. See you later. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Links and Locks <laughs> podcast. You can subscribe, download. I assume that. Alpha is now gone and he is gone while feeling fulfilled with everything that uh, he wanted. No blabbering, no blathering. I hear you. I hear you. I'm just putting good, good vibes out of the universe because I need two more wins for my evil, evil baseball team. So they are evil. Uh, I will say, I don't like the Braves much better than the Astros being a Mets fan myself. So, you know, you guys can both lose. Welcome welcome aboard. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. All right. So uh, not too much to talk about. Look, uh, weather was sort of the major attraction in Bermuda this past weekend. Uh, all kudos to Lucas Herbert. And I loved what he had to say afterwards as far as playing in that weather. He told Jerry Foltz uh, afterwards, I love playing when it's really hard. It makes you be uh, that little bit better and eliminates the guys who aren't as good at hitting shots that don't get affected by wind or rain. I just enjoyed the struggle out there, which is the kind of thing that you quite honestly love hearing from a player after the fact. I might have loved hearing it before the fact because you and I haven't right. mentioned Lucas Herbert's name in anything we wrote or said last week, but uh, that's okay. Good young player, 25 years old. We're going to get into a little bit of what this means, but uh, I know you were away for most of the weekend, so you didn't get a chance to watch too much of it. But any takeaways from the Butterfield Bermuda Championship that kind of stick with you that make you think, oh, okay, well, that's such a bizarre week. Life. Such a bizarre week. The, the beginning of the week, the, probably the biggest storyline before the weather was people's, the players' difficulty getting out there uh, because of weather and, you know, the limited amount of flights out to Bermuda. And then the fact that they weren't able to fill the entire field. Just to, And then the weather hits and, the you know, 
dudes are getting blown over by the wind and the early wave on, I think it was Thursday. I mean, just a kind of a, a crazy random week with a lot of stuff that wasn't the biggest news was stuff that wasn't specifically golf related. Right. It was just kind of, you know, a, a tough week in November, not a great, not a really deep field, but, but a good win for Lucas Herbert get his first PGA tour victory. Congratulations to him. Yeah. Great for him. Um, and why don't we get into our five questions? Because I think this dovetails nicely into some of the things that you and I wanted to talk about in relation to him and some other things that happened this past weekend. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is five under. Question number one, Lucas Herbert, speaking of, is the new flavor of the week. Will the 25-year-old Australian make next year's international team for the President's Cup? And and don't we do this all the time where it's like, (laughs) you know, three days ago, if we talked about the international team, we could have gone 30 players deep and probably not mentioned Lucas Herbert's name, but now he's won on the PGA Tour. He's got a couple of European Tour wins in Dubai and in Ireland, and now we look at him and say, this guy's apparently really good. Uh, Maybe he's got a chance. An increasingly tougher team to make when you look Mm. at the dynamics, the composition of that international team. Um, A team that, you know, nearly pulled off what would have been maybe the biggest team upset in the history of golf when they led on Sunday against the United States in the uh, Presidents' Cup at Royal Melbourne a couple years ago. Um, You know, I'll say no, but I wouldn't put it past them to make that team. But you look at, just look at the composition of the roster, right? Hideki Matsuyama, kind of the new stalwart at the top. I don't think Adam Scott's done from any, you know, he could put together a run with a couple of victories and make another one of those teams. He's been the face of that international side for so long. Um, You look at a guy like Corey Connors, who's really coming to his own as a ball striker. He flies Canadian flag. He could probably make that team. Sung JM just won. Abraham answer is, is he's a top 20 player in the world now. I mean, just keep going down that list. Like Mito Pereira, you and I are both really high on him. I think he's going to win on the PGA Tour this season. You just keep going down and, you know, Christian Bezadenhout, um, Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, you're starting to run out of spots, you know. So um, it's going to be tough for him to make just because it really just speaks to how strong that international side has started to look here over the last 18 months to two years. Going down the world ranking list, and I know there's another points list for the actual international team, which I'm just not having – I don't happen to have it up in front of me right now, but uh, this is a fairly good barometer. Uh, starts Louis Ustez and goes Hideki, Abraham Answer. Yeah, you mentioned Louis. Yeah. yeah I, well, and that's why I brought this up because I knew there were guys. If, if you or I just started to kind of spitball and throw names out. Sure, I was just rattling off the top of yeah. my head. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Smith, Sung J M, Joaquin Neiman, Mark Leishman, yeah. Corey Connors, Adam Scott. Then we get to Lucas Herbert, which is inside that top 12. Christian is Wade Note, Siwoo Kim, Mackenzie Hughes, Garrick Higo, Eric Van Royen, Brandon Grace, Minwoo Lee, KH Lee. Okay, we start getting into it. Minwoo Lee is kind of in that same group as Herbert, yeah. too, where extremely talented guys won a couple pretty soon, won a pretty significant event on the European tour this summer. It's going to be a tough team to make. It's going to be, I'd argue, probably the strongest international team they've had you know, maybe ever, but I have to go look at a couple of those teams that were spearheaded by, by Ernie Els back in the day, but yeah, no, it's it's going to be a difficult squad to make. I'll say no, but I obviously wouldn't be surprised. I got that talented for him to flip the switch and get on that team. Yeah, it might have been a little more top-heavy with Ernie and VJ and Adam kind of more in his prime and maybe the beginning of Jason Day if that all overlapped. But 
Uh, I think top to bottom, this might wind up being the best international team. Your guy's Kumi Kanaya. Never know. He might Kuna be. Kuna Matata means no worries. Question number two, based on Taylor Pendrith this past weekend, who shot a, the most unfortunate 76 of his life on Sunday uh, after leading by three. What percentage of PGA Tour players with at least a three-shot 54-hole lead don't wind up winning? So over the last 15 seasons, it's actually a probably a higher percentage than you think. 61% of players who lead by three or more shots going into the final round go on to win. Sounds like a pretty big number, but that means that about 40% of players don't win. So um, it's, it's closer to a 50-50 split than you may think. Obviously incredibly difficult to close on the PGA Tour. But yeah, over the last 15 years, when you lead by three or more, you go on to win 61% of the time. That's anything but a lock. Pendrith is a guy who I really has a really interesting, impressive statistical profile from his, uh, his play on the Corn Ferry Tour last season, where you know, I think he was top 20 in greens and regulation. He was top five in driving distance. He was top five in birdie average. Like he's, he's got a lot of talent, a lot of skill. Um, he'll be back on top of a leaderboard real soon. But yeah, uh, 61% of players go on to win. At the beginning of the season, I agree with you. I had written that uh, I believe Taylor Pendrith and Steven Yeager, who's been on the PGA Tour before, in addition to Mito Pereira, probably have uh, the most PGA Tour-ready games of those guys coming off the corn ferry. It doesn't mean other guys can't play well. We've seen Chad Ramey. We've seen... Um, a few other players uh, put up some good, good numbers, good results so far. But I, I do think it, it won't be too long before we see him on a leaderboard again. And oh, by the way, uh, sometimes those experiences are necessary before you start winning. We talk about that all the time. All right. No question number three. One more stat related query for you, Jay Ray, since you're so good at these things and pull them up out of thin air. Scott Stallings posted a final round 62 on Sunday, gaining 9.68 strokes on the field. Where does that rank in, and I'll, I'll leave this open in whatever time frame you want to go by, either over the past year or past five years, whatever you have. Yeah, so I, I did a quick little search, and over the last three seasons, so the very beginning of this season in the fall and the two previous seasons um, going back, so that would be since 1920, since the 2019-2020 season. Not 1920. <laughs> I, get I get it. I get it. <laughs> you got it. Um, there have been more than 27,000 rounds played on the PGA Tour, only five have a better strokes gain total. So um, the best in that span, plus 10 and a half, was shot by Scotty Scheffler at the Northern Trust, TPC Boston, um, in the playoffs when he shot 59. That's the best in that span. But only five rounds better um, than what we saw on Sunday. Really good. By the way, I'd, I've been texting with Scott Stallings a couple days previously about really nothing having to do with golfer his play in Bermuda whatsoever but I, I put in a couple of showdown lineups on DraftKings and on FanDuel and it was one of those like I, I just didn't think much about it there was no shot link data so you couldn't really go by too much if you hadn't watched a whole lot so, so you know what sometimes the right answer is kind of right there in front of you and I put Scott Stallings on both of my lineups and on each site and I you know I was out of the out of the loop for most of Sunday morning and when I happened to look he was nine under through 15 or 16 something like that and I looked at the leaderboard and saw that before I looked at my lineups. And I just thought, oh, yeah, today's the day. Here it comes. Here <laughs> I nailed it. The, the one guy who's made the biggest move, I've got him in the lineups. And I looked and I barely cashed. What the hell? Stuff is so hard. Tough league, man. Tough league. He was 2% owned. <laughs> and he was the one guy that went off on Sunday. And I had him everywhere. And I still just nothing. So that field. Almost everybody was about 2% owned. So it was yes, a tough yeah. week for sure. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, question number four. Jordan Spieth moved back into the top 10 in the world for the first time in three years this week through no doing of his own, by the way, because he's played one event in this current season. He finished T18 at the CJ Cup, which was fine, but certainly didn't move him up three spots. So it might be a matter of other people moving down more than Jordan moving up. But whatever the algorithm throws out at us, that we take that um, and run with it. So uh, he's now number 10 in the world one year from today, November 1st. 2022, what will be Jordan Spieth's world ranking? I'll say six. I think it's going to be even better than it is now. Um, I think that what he did statistically across the board, um, improving strokes gained in everything virtually over his previous season and the season before that, speaks to an improvement in his game and a more of a – what we saw maybe not in 2015 was the norm, but the guy who was near the top of the world ranking, putting together that unbelievable beginning to his career – as a professional, I think that's that's closer to what we're going to see over the next five years. And it's not going to be the guy who is drifting, you know, near the outside the top 100 nearly. You know, he's just too talented. He's too good of a player. Nearly won the Open Championship this year. Should have won Colonial. Won the Texas Open. Tons of high finishes. And I know you said it was through no doing of his own. Maybe this week. But it speaks to just how consistent he was over the course of the season. Because that, of course, is a two-year rolling window that they get the world ranking from. And as you you know, whittle off those events, those bad finishes that he had two years ago, that world ranking looks more and more strong. Yeah, I tend to agree with you saying he's around sixth one year from now. Um, the hard part is the fact that, I mean, he's got to get up there with the Brysons and the Xanders and the Cantleys and the Collins and guys like that who have played really, really well. But first of all, what he's got on his side is that algorithm is going to keep uh, – the 2021 campaign on there and wipe away the 2021, which he didn't play that well. In. And secondly, uh, how, how do you move up that quickly? You got to win. And he only won once this past year. Remember he just won the Valero Texas open had a lot of other, I believe four other top three finishes so far in 2021. Including so, the masters. Yes. Including the masters. That's a big one. But you would think that if there's a, a win or two in there at some bigger events, which could very well be on the horizon, for Jordan Spieth, that number is going to keep moving up. Okay, question number five. Halloween was this past weekend. Surprise. Have you, Justin Ray, ever dressed up like a golfer or worn any sort of golf-related costume for Halloween? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I had a Titleist golf ball as my birthday cake one year when I was like eight or nine, I remember, because I've seen Ooh. pictures of it. Um, you know, my better Halloween costumes over the years, like as a kid – I was Super Mario a handful of times. I was like different variations of the cost of the uh, suits that Super Mario could earn in Mario Three back in the day, mm. like with the, the raccoon that could fly. And anyway, this is way too much detail. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite costume from college. I had a buddy when I was in school who did a really good George W. Bush impression, mm-hmm. and so we showed up at a party. Uh, him grayed out his hair in a suit and he was just doing the impression in full character the whole time. And I was the big burly security guard. So basically I was secret service suit, tie sunglasses. And I had my roommate's Xbox headset to make it look <laughs> like I was like, like come here. And I would just have my finger on my ear, just staying in character for as long as I could throughout the time. So that's probably the Very most good. fun I had as a uh, Halloween costume in college. I don't think I've ever dressed up as a golfer. No, I don't think I have. So I never did it as a kid. That would not have been my thing. Like I didn't even start really getting into golf until late teens, early 20s. So uh, that wouldn't have been something I would have wanted to do growing up. But 
I believe it was my first year at Golf Channel. I was the fill-in host for Morning Drive, and I happened to be filling in the morning of Halloween, uh, probably 2011. It was probably exactly 10 years ago to the day um, of this year's Halloween, where uh, it was myself and Gary Williams, and, uh, and Gary dressed up as Ian Poulter, and I dressed up as Ricky Fowler. And we actually had okay. Poults and Ricky call into the show and critique our costumes. And uh, we had, you know, we had some uh, some sources at our disposal as well. So uh, yeah. we were able to get Cobra to our Puma to send us some uh, some of their gear. So, I mean, we looked we as much you as were we decked could out look in bright like orange. Me. You looked yes. like a traffic cone. on. I, I was decked out in bright orange and and I had a wig, by the way. Um, which might I was going to say, I don't know if you could follically pull off the, the early 2010s Fowler under the hat. I I remember walking through like a party city kind of store and trying on wigs that they had on October 30th, the afternoon of October 30th, as we're like, Oh crap, it's tomorrow. What are we going to do? And like trying to make a wig work that would like, Oh, that kind of could be Ricky's hair. Okay. We could do that. We put it under a, bright orange cobra hat and that'll work being under the hat that has to help in that situation but yeah i know the costume stores are kind of slim pickings when you get to the day before halloween right yeah exactly so all right that has been five questions uh hopefully we didn't blab too much for alpha tx 35 but let's get come into back, alpha. uh yeah no come come on back we're gonna get to the picks now so this is the part where you can just jump in all right let's look at this week's field, and uh, it's a good one. Nine of the top 25 in the world showing up to Mayakoba for what's being called the Worldwide Technology Championship now. I'm looking at the odds on DraftKings as of, oh, 5.39 Eastern time Monday afternoon while we're recording this podcast. And Justin Thomas is your pre-tournament favorite at 11 to 1. Abraham Answer at 16 to 1. So is defending champion Victor Hovland. Tony Finau at 20, Brooks Kepka at 25, Scotty Scheffler also at 25, Cameron Tringali at 28. There, there's some interesting numbers on the board this week. I think the Tringali number uh, is interesting, but not in a good way. Shane Lowry at 30, Aaron Wise, another interesting one at 30, Billy Horschel at 30, uh, Tyrell Hatton at 30, Taylor Gooch, interesting again, 35 to 1, Patrick Reed, 35 to 1. We'll round out this top tier with Matthew Wolf, Harold Varner the third, and Matt Fitzpatrick at forty to one. All right, uh, what's tickling your fancy this week at Mayakoba from this top tier? A couple notes about the course before I dive into the players. This is just over seven thousand yards, one of the shortest golf courses on the PGA Tour. No shot link data available historically from this event, so you got to kind of go with the traditional numbers. But just to give you an idea, you've got to go pretty much mistake free if you want to stick around. The winner here has averaged right about 20 under the last 10 years. Winners the last 10 years have averaged just about five bogeys all week. So you don't have a lot of room for error. Victor Hovland made seven bogeys last year when he won, and it was the most that he had in six years by a winner at Mayakoba. So, Wasn't there a triple bogey in there? No. Was that? Uh, amidst it, yeah. There was a okay. there was a big crooked number. So yeah. um, you can't make a ton of mistakes. Not a lot of room for error. Got to go super low. Winners at Mayakoba hit about 5% more greens in regulation than the average tour winner. Total driving and driving distance, as you may expect on a shorter course, 15 to 20% less significant than the usual, uh, the usual ranking of a winner on the PGA Tour. Both some numbers you kind of expect from a shorter layout. Looking at the top of the board, it's kind of, I know he's the favorite, but 11 to 1 for Justin Thomas against this field that's a little bit top heavy. 
kind of okay with it. He shot a 62 in the third round here last year when he finished tied for 12th. This is just his second start of the fall, tied for 18th at the CJ Cup. Over the last three seasons on the PGA Tour, only Colin Morikawa averages more strokes gained approach per round. So I'm kind of okay with that Thomas number. I think it – I would – I would have probably bet on him outright if it was eight or nine to one, even and eleven mm-hmm. to one's kind of. I kind of like it. I kind of might. Uh, I might. I might have a little bit of action there on him outright. Maybe nothing too crazy, but um, something there. Hovland's interesting, actually, uh, uh, also as well. Um, no one's ever won this golf tournament twice, let alone back to back years. I think that speaks to it's a stepping stone event for a lot of guys. Year in, year out, but now it's kind of got a unique spot on the schedule in November. You see the strength of the field this week. Um, that's interesting. So it's sixteen to one. You know, one of the better iron players on tour since turning pro. I talked about the significance of iron play here. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm looking for something from Victor Hovland this week. His only top 10 finish since he won the BMW International Open um, was at Eastlake. So he hasn't had a lot of high finishes recently. Um, and then the other guy that's pretty interesting to me near the top of the board. Where is he? 30 to 1 for Billy Horschel. Seems like a yeah. pretty good yeah. value to me. Four top 25 finishes and six career starts here. He's finished eighth and fifth here the last two years. Combined 43 under par in this tournament the last three years, the best of any player. This is just his second start since he won at Wentworth, which was one of the biggest wins of his career. I genuinely would not be surprised if Billy Horschel won this week at 30 to 1. He's my favorite outright. I like that as well. I think that's a smart play. Uh, before I get to the guys that I like from this top tier, I mentioned some of these interesting numbers and I want to address them. Cameron Tringali, who's still searching famously for that first career PGA Tour victory. Look, I like Tringali. He keeps showing up on leaderboards. He's a good player. He's 28 to one. He's a shorter number than Billy Horschel, whom you just talked about. Uh, Tyrrell Hatton, who's a top 20 player in the world. Patrick Reed was second on, on the leaderboard. Granted, it wasn't a great tournament. It wasn't a great leaderboard. Patrick Reed was second last week, and he's 35 to one. He's uh, a decent amount. I'm with longer you. Those are a couple pretty confusing numbers going. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moving down the list just a little bit, Aaron Wise. I really like Aaron Wise. He's played well. I think he's going to win at some point. Uh, he's a guy, if I'm, if I'm picking sort of a breakthrough player this year, he's on my short list of guys to make that happen. That said, he's 30 to 1. I, again, it's just a number that kind of baffles me, and it's one where uh, you put Aaron Wise at 50 to 1, 60 to 1, and I'm – taking a serious, long, hard look at him this week for an outright play at 30 to one. That's really hard to get down with. And the other one is Taylor Gooch, 35 to one. Again, uh, Gooch is a guy that I, I really, really like. I've liked him for a long time. Good ball striker. He's the typical, hey, if he gets just warm with his putter, doesn't need to get super hot. If he gets warm with the putter, he can go out and contend on any given week. And yet at 35 to one, I mean, if you said, Here's a ticket for 35 to one. You could put anybody's name on it. That's right around there. Patrick Reed, Matthew Wolf, Taylor Gooch. Sorry. I just, I can't take Taylor Gooch. I, I really like the guy. I think he's got a tremendous amount of game. That's just a hard sell with the guys who are right around him. And so, all right, let's get to the ones who I do like uh, answer and fee. Now I've put together in tournaments for years now, based on the fact that neither one of them could step up and win and you know it was kind of hey top five tickets at least abraham answer tony fina these guys are always right around there even if they're not going to win and now uh, they won they each won an event within a three-week span answer in memphis and fina at liberty national of course and so i feel like they're still in that same boat it might be a different boat might be a bigger boat because they were able to move up a little bit but they're still in the same boat which is hey now they now they've won now they've each gotten that monkey off their backs 
maybe bigger and better things coming for each of these guys. And it is, of course, that, that ain't that ain't a boat. That's a yacht. now. It's a yacht. Yeah, right. that's a that's yacht a for those two guys as yes. well as they've played over the last several months. Yeah. So answer uh, four starts at this event. Twenty uh, first or better in each of them. Tony Finau, a seventh, eighth and 16th in three of his five starts here. So this is uh, not only a place where, um, you know, they're two of the favorites in the field, but uh, where they played well in the past and have some experience also. And then I, I mentioned it off the top sort of offhandedly, but uh, Shane Lowry is my favorite outright in the field this week. I'm looking this time of year and it backfired a few weeks ago. I believe it was the CJ cup where uh, Louis Ustazen was my favorite outright, but sort of the same, uh, the same formula, which is, Hey, guys who's been really consistent, hasn't had that one breakout week, that one week of, brilliance, but just really steady and high level consistency throughout the entire year. At some point he's going to pop and it's, and you would think he'd be a little bit hungrier this time of year than some of the other players. Shane Lowry has been tremendous this year. I believe was the number I had on 12 top 25 finishes and five top tens this year, but nothing better than fourth. Um, So he's, you know, he's been around it. He just hasn't been sniffing it like real close on a Sunday afternoon. But I do think that, on a shorter golf course where uh, he's got it's very accurate, a guy that has great hands around the greens. I think this should be a really good one for Shane Lowry. I like that. Uh, I'm with you on Abraham answer. Um, the only player with a better cumulative score to par in this tournament, the previous three years than answer is Billy Horschel. So I like answer a lot. Like I said, he's upgraded from a boat to a yacht. Now he's a fixture in the top 20 in the world. Just, a, just really consistent player and something that, you know, I thought the distance would be the lack of distance would be a hampering on his career a couple of years ago. And he's really, he's become the best version of himself as a player so far, which is really impressive. Going a little bit further down the list, a guy, another guy who's beneath Gooch wise beneath HV three. Will Zalatoris is 45 to one to win this week. Yeah, I know yeah. he's not the same scorching red hot performer since that injury he had at the open championship, but he's already got a pair of top 15 finishes in the fall ranked seventh on the PGA tour since the beginning of last season and strokes gained approach per round. That ball striking carries everywhere. It's going to play this week. Obviously this would be a great spot for his first PGA tour win. I think this would be a perfect kind of round out the year, this ascension into the, you know, the, the highlight reel level of the best in the world. He's kind of up there in that discussion is just one of the more consistent ball strikers on the planet. 45 to one's a pretty good number there for for Will Zalatoris, and I think you're going to get a lot of good numbers there for him for top 10s, top 20s. You know, it's very funny because you say, rightly so, that he's got a couple of top 15s in the fall already. I pointed out in my preview piece this week at Action Network that uh, he only has two top 10s since the Masters, which neither of us are wrong. It just goes to show how right. these, you know, in either how, case. How do you want to chop up the numbers, you know? Yeah. Uh, and the numbers don't lie, but how you present the numbers can sort of tell your own tale in the way you want to present them. And so I, I have him as a fade just because he, he, I don't think he's been playing his best golf, but long-term I'm still bullish on him and any week it could happen. So yeah, that 45 no, one number isn't terrible whatsoever. I'm an avowed fan of the kids game and I love watching him play. So maybe I'm a little bit skewed in that direction, but um, narrative wise, it would seem to make sense. I think this is a good underpriced kind of value type situation for him this week. I like that. Uh, anybody else in that mid tier that you're going after? Going down a little bit further, I don't see his odds jumping off the page. There he is, 65 to 1. Miliano Grillo, five career starts in this tournament, four top 15 finishes, 
ranks third all-time in scoring average at El Camillion mm. among players with eight or more rounds played, averaging more than five birdies or better per round in his career here. I like him re- I like him a lot as a DraftKings play, as filling out your roster. He's going to make a bunch of birdies. He's the strength of his game is his iron play. He's 12th in strokes gained approach per round over the last three PGA Tour seasons. Top 20 finish a few starts away, a few starts ago at the CJ Cup. I like him for a top 20, maybe even a top 10. I'll have a ticket on him uh, for that, but he's a good guy to fill out your your DraftKings lineup. And another guy in that same vein, early on in his career, the the line you heard most about Russell Henley, he's a great putter. It's his iron play, man. That's what he's turned into. He's one of the most consistent iron players in the world. Only Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa have more strokes gained approach per round over the last three seasons than Russell Henley. 56th in the world ranking this week. This is the time of year where if a guy can jump into the top 50 on January 1st, it can mean a lot. It'll be a big deal for him. I'm weary of his course history here a bit. Missed the cut here each of his last two years, but he's coming off back-to-back top 25 finishes. Such a good iron player. I think he might be a decent value. I see him at 45 to 1. Once again, another guy beneath your Gooch, your what you know, your your Aaron Wises of the world. Uh, first of all, um, that's where I was going to start the mid-tier for my plays was Russell Henley because I, I think he is criminally undervalued on a, a regular basis. There aren't too many guys who are like always undervalued. It's like, you know, someone posts a, a couple of top 15s in a row and all of a sudden you're like, you know, Taylor Gooch, you're Aaron Wise, you're, you're way like, up the wow, board. They're yeah. way overboard and because they know everyone's going to jump on these guys. And, and so you don't really stay undervalued for too long. I look at Henley very much um, maybe on a, a parallel with Shane Lowry this year, this year, which is very consistent for a very long time. Hasn't just had that one four round flash of brilliance that we look for from some of these guys. And so he hasn't won, but I, I honestly, and I've said it for the last two months or so that there isn't a whole lot that separated Russell Henley from Harris English, his old UGA buddy this year, other than Harris got it done twice on Sunday afternoons and Henley didn't. And Russell Henley nearly did it at the U S open. You remember how great he played for three days and then he had a terrible Sunday. Um, You're right. He's, he's so close to being, he was kind of my analytical darling early on in 2021. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of percolated coming together at the U S open. He unfortunately didn't come through. Um, uh, But yeah, no, I'm with you. He's a consistent performer. He's going to be a 20 year pro on the PGA tour. He's already been out here for about a decade. Um, Yeah. I think he's, he's underrated week in week out. Like you said, one of them gets on a Ryder Cup team, gets to be a guest picker for college game day. The other guy's fighting to get into the major championships for next year if he can get into the top 50. It's crazy how this game, of the game man. It works in, in the thin lines. All right, other guys in this mid-tier that I like. It seems like the whole world already that I've seen is already on Joaquin Neiman, uh, 45 to 1. That number's going to drop a little bit more, I yep. think, considering that everyone's kind of pointing him out as a, a value play this week. Mav McNeely plays really good. Anytime I see a course that's just over 7,000 yards and Matt McNeely is in the field. He's a guy that I'm targeting. And once again, I'm going back to the well where uh, this guy's a top 20 machine. This guy is the, the new generation's version of Charles Howell, the third, which is, Hey, he's going to show up. He's going to punch his card. He's going to get a, a top 20. And if he plays really well, the ceiling can be there, but I think he's got a really high floor. Maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high on a given week, but that floor is one that I, you know, I, I don't think he's going to play badly on a regular basis. So uh, really like Matt McNeely, Gary Woodland. He's been runner up here and Gary Woodland, kind of like Tony Finau plays some of his best golf on shorter golf courses, even though he's a big hitter. It's like he can dial it back and feel a little bit more comfortable not having to bang driver out there. 
Jonathan Vegas has played really, really well. Six top 25s in his last nine starts. So this is a guy that uh, is, is finally starting to get a little bit of recognition. He's a guy that I've said it on this pod many, many times before. I, I think he can be a top 25, top 30 type of player in the world ranking. Pat Perez always shows up at this one. Uh, I'd be surprised if you look at those scoring averages over the years, don't have Pat Perez somewhere on this list. And then I'm going to get to the end of this mid-tier with a guy who, and we talk about players being undervalued on a regular basis. I Did Brian Harmon do something to somebody? Uh, cool off a, a little bit, but yeah. He's not playing his I'm best like, golf, but Brian Harmon is a really, really good guy. I mean, I can look at a lot of players who have shorter odds than Brian Harmon this week that are not nearly the golfer that he is, quite agreed, frankly. Yeah. Brian Harmon's really good. He's got some win equity. He's 100 to 1. Brian Harmon is 7 to 1 for a top 10 this week. And well, I looked like at his that. record. His record is not good at Mayakoba, and I don't quite understand yeah. that a best finish of 26 and eight starts. And it, it seems like this should be a course that suits him, but he's a guy talk about guys who are hungry at the end of the year and still motivated. Harmon's a bulldog in more ways than just the fact that he played at Georgia. I mean, this is a guy who's chomping at the bit to get out there and like, yo, go give me the trophy. Like I, you know, I, I've seen guys that I'm buddies with guys that I hang out with go out and get wins. I know I'm as good, if not better than some of these guys, I need my win this year. I think this is a great week if you go down the board, deep into the board, you can find some really good course horse value at some big numbers. We mentioned Taylor Pendrith. He doesn't necessarily fit into that course horse mold, but you know, nearly one last week. I mentioned the balance he has across the statistical profile on the Corn Ferry Tour last year. But here's some another guy. He, Pendrith is 100 to 1. So is Joel Damon. Joel Damon, 16 for 16, shooting rounds under par in his career in this event, made the cut all four times he's played it. 36 under par here the last three years, tied for fourth best. Won the Corrales Putacana earlier this year. That's a longer golf course. It's got the same kind of island, you know, vibe type thing going on there. Uh, Joel Damon is a little bit underrated. Another guy tied for second place last week at Bermuda. Has a second and a third place in this golf tournament since 2015. Danny Lee ranked fifth in birdies or better per round at Mayakoba all time. More than five per round. Love him for a DraftKings play to get you a bunch of points. Open with a 62 here last year. A uh, sneak preview to our show, The Gimme. Danny Lee will be my first-round leader pick simply because of his, his hot finish last week. Combine that with how he's played well on this golf course. He could do that. Another guy he's had a – By the way, Jay Ray, t- I, I mentioned it on the pod last week that I found an old article written by you that said – you know it listed players who play well on short golf courses. It had some, some names that you would think would be on there, some of the bigger names in the world. Then all of a sudden there's Danny Lee's name that pops yeah. up as a guy who overperforms on short courses – if it worked last week, it should work this week as well. 100% agree there. Um, another guy who's had a he's had a brutal season. He's missed more than half of his cuts around the world. But Adam Long has an outstanding history on this golf course. Finished tied for second, tied for third in his two starts here. He's the all-time leader in birdie average in this tournament among players with at least eight rounds played. 130 to one, I'm seeing for him. Um, I think you can get some value here for top 10s, top 20s. And then I've got one more name for you that I have not seen said anywhere yet, but is one of the best players on this golf course in recent years. Bryce Garnett, six straight made cuts in this tournament, three top tens in that span. Since 2015, in this golf tournament, he is first and scored a par. He's tied for first in rounds in the 60s, tied for first rounds of 67 or lower, fourth in scoring average, loves this golf course. I think he's going to be a good value for some uh, DraftKings lineups and maybe some top 10, top 20 plays. 
Keep talking for a minute. I'm writing all these names down for what I'm putting my lineups in. Garnett, Grio, Damon. All right. We're... Danny no. Lee. Danny yeah. Lee. Yeah, okay. All right. Now I have Good to – there. I'm just saying you don't have to jump on those guys at the top of the board. Get a little bit deeper into it, and you've got some value there, some guys who've had a lot of success on this golf course. Now I have to come with my guys after you had so much statistical proof of the guys you like. I've got a few names here. Grayson Sig <laughs> is a guy that I really liked last week. And I, it was the second or third round. He kind of fell off the pace just a little bit. I think he finished T22. I mean, it wasn't terrible by any means. Um, but again, on a shorter golf course, I don't like him as much as I liked him last week, but I, I could see it this week. My guy, Brendan Steele, coming off a share of second place at the Zozo the last time he played. Brendan Steele. Brendan Steele. Brendan Steele. I just want to be able to hit the ball higher, a little bit farther. Steele with a rip off the 12th. Hard to beat. Wow, that was just jammed in. The man of steel. How good was that? Wow. Speaking of guys who are criminally undervalued, he's 130 to 1. Like anyone else finished second place in his last start, they're going to be 50 to 1. I mean, the guys look. Speaks to the strength of this field, right? I mean, it's a stronger field than Maya Koba's used to having. This has got to be the best they've ever had in this tournament. I mean, a nice spot on the calendar is going to you can find some value there, some good players and some high numbers. All right. And then I'm just going pure talent. Maybe he doesn't really match up with the golf course perfectly, but Keith Mitchell's too good to be sitting there at 150 to one anymore. We saw him at 250 to one uh, in Vegas a few weeks ago where he finished in third place. He just, he's a really good player. Uh, trust me on this. I, I think that at some point later in this season, once we probably get to the Florida swing, I don't think you're getting Keith Mitchell in the triple digits anymore against better fields. So the fact that you can get him at 150 to one right now, uh, I think is good value. And I, I probably say something sort of in the same realm for Doc Redman. I've been waiting for Doc Redman to go off for, for a couple of years now. Uh, I'm sure our producer, Matt Mitchell's probably in our Doc Redman music right now. He's 200 to one this week. Doc Redman. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. He hasn't shown many signs of regaining the form that he's had before, but he tends to pop just kind of randomly. And it's on ball striker type golf courses. He's a good iron player. So I can see Doc Redman doing something this week. Let's see. We're going, going way down the list. Uh, look, if you want to take a shot on a Hudson Swafford at 250. I don't hate it. JT Poston's missed a bunch of cuts in a row, so maybe stay away from him. Uh, Denny McCarthy, we we both liked him last week, and he didn't play his best golf, but another chance at what could turn into a putting contest at this one. So don't hate that at 250. So, again, there are some names further down the list, and I think we can find some value. Okay, uh, let's get to our DraftKings lineup that we do every week here. We do it on the Gimme as well. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Yeah, I'm going to start with a guy, one of my favorite plays of the week. A player who's got an unbelievable history here. Three top tens amidst his six consecutive made cuts at the Mayakoba Championship. Player with the best cumulative score to par at this event since 2015, Mr. Bryce Garnett, 6,500, saving a lot of money there with our first pick. You really are. Uh, that's a really good play. And um, as I was typing in his name to just search for him there, I typed in BR, 
and I saw the number next to B R I N Harmon's name, and I'm like, <laughs> at 7,300, I get it. He hasn't played his best golf here, but boy, is that a lot of value. 7,300. Like, I mean, some of these other names at 7,300, CT Pan, who I like, Russell Knox, yeah, good player. Adam Hadwin was my favorite play last week. He burned me. Um, just some of the other guys who are around there, yeah, they're good. Brian Harmon's like not getting the recognition from the marketplace that he should. So I'm going to fire Brian Harmon at 7,300. Okay, I like it. Uh, I'm going to go back and save us money again with this next pick. Kind of speaks to the value I see down on the board this week with guys who have had a lot of his, uh, good history on this golf course. And Danny Lee finished tied for second last week in Bermuda, nearly won second and a third place finish here since 2015. Fifth in birdies are better per round at Mayakoba all time, more than five per round. Open with 62 here last year. I'm going to go with Danny Lee, 6,900. Okay. Uh, I like that one. And yeah, we can spend some money now. We've got 29,300 left for our three picks, 97,67 per man. I'm still going uh, below the average left. And uh, I'm taking Shane Lowry, who I mentioned earlier. I don't think Shane Lowry is going to be overly owned unless people tend to click on my stuff this week because I haven't really seen too many others talking about him. But again, I think this is just a, a good spot for Shane Lowry to uh, to play some of his high-level, consistent golf that he's played throughout the year. And I, I do think that ceiling is there that we haven't seen yet this year. So at 9,300, I think he's a nice play. Okay. I like it. Now, we got some money to spend, a lot of we money do. left on the table, 20000 left for our last two picks. So we can go kind of high on the board here. Go ahead. Spend it. You've been saving us money. I'm, I'm kind of torn between two guys here who are both on the high end. On one end, I talked about how much I like Billy Horschel. He's 10-1 this week. Four top 25s and six career starts here. Eighth and fifth the last two years. Best cumulative score to par here of any player the last three years. But I'm going to go spend 600 more for the guy who's number two on the list in score to par of the last three years. Abraham Answer, really great history here. Four straight finishes of 21st or better. Nine rounds of 67 or lower in that span. Let's go with Abraham Answer for 10,700. Uh, I love that you did that for two reasons. First of all, I really like Answer this week. I'm on board with everything you just said. Secondly, it leaves 9,300. There's a player at 9,200 who I really like this week and somehow just didn't get to him when we were going through the whole board. Uh, but I listed him as my favorite top 10 in my preview this week. Matthew Wolf has seen a resurgence of big proportions. Uh, we know that he has struggled this year, both on and off the golf course, and he's been very open and honest about that. I think that because of this, and he missed some time, of course, but I, I think he's probably, again, we're, we're talking about hunger. We're talking about motivation. We're talking about who really, quite frankly, cares more about going down to Mexico and playing some really good golf. Who does it mean more to uh, this week uh, as opposed to some others? I, I think Matthew Wolf wants to go out and really kind of go out with a bang for the, the early part of this season and part of this year. Uh, finished runner-up in Vegas in his last start at the Shriners. And I think he can be somewhere close to that again. I think it's going to be another title contention. Again, another guy who's a big hitter, but tends to play some really good golf on shorter golf courses. And uh, I think this should be a good one for him. He's at 9,200. That leaves 100 on the board. And by the way, before we move through this, I want to get your thoughts on Wolf. You're smiling there, Jay Ray. Thoughts on I'm uh, just looking Wolf? at him. So if, uh, DraftKings has the fantasy points per game up. And Wolf's obviously, I guess he's only had the one start where he nearly won the tournament. Yeah. And his points per game is 115.8. 
it's like the it's like a, that's like Will Chamberlain number type thing. Like <laughs> you don't see that. Like it's not a common number you see in uh, fantasy yeah. points per game. By, by comparison, Abraham Answer, who's really really good, is sixty point six. Bryce Garnett forty six point three. What do you have? <laughs> so yeah, no, it's just it speaks to how explosive he can be when he plays as well as he did in Vegas, like you talked about. I like that pick. I think we got a good roster here. Answer Garnett, Harmon, Lee, Lowry, Wolf. Ship it. Really like that lineup. Uh, Really appreciate everyone for hanging out with us, hanging out through all the blabbing that we did this week here on the podcast. Jay Ray, thanks for everything. You can catch us on the gimme this week, Wednesday p.m. Eastern time. We're we're leaving it a little bit open to see if there's a game seven of the World Series. Jay Ray, what do you think? Series going seven? We're going seven, baby. Luis Garcia is coming for you. My man with his the, the curly ponytail, the rookie. Probably should finish second or third nail rookie of the year. Let's go. Hate All us right. forever. You heard it here first. Uh, so <laughs> if we do, just check check your local social channels, as we like to say, and you can find uh, the exact time based on uh, what else is going on in the sports world. But in any case, thanks so much for listening to the Links and Locks podcast. You can download, subscribe, listen, rate anywhere you find your podcast. For Justin Ray, I'm Jason Sobel. Good luck with all your bets for the Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. Here's hoping you hit the green.